The Love Good Podcast is brought to you by our patrons. As they stand on the front lines of discovering the world's best new music, books, and art before anyone else, our patrons raise media to a higher standard and help young people and artists turn that standard into a way of life. Join the movement today that will give you hope for tomorrow. Become a patron now at lovegoodculture.com. Welcome, everybody, to the Love Good Podcast. This is your host, Jimmy Mitchell. You're listening to Season 1, Episode 18. I am currently in the very beautiful, very small village of Walsingham, England. And though the conversation I'll be having with my co-host, Janae Trudell, was recorded a few weeks ago in Nashville, the interview that we're going to be featuring today took place here in Walsingham. I sat down only a few hours ago with Imogen Fell and John Withers, two incredible young adults living here in this very, very small village and making a heap of difference in the country of England through an organization called Youth 2000. Uh, but what's so interesting is John is also a musician and a really, really brilliant one. Uh, Imogen is studying uh, social work. She's getting her PhD as she explores really the effects of technology on human trafficking in Southeast Asia, especially the Philippines. So really, really brilliant conversations with people of incredible faith, uh, and who are out there fighting for the culture and fighting especially for young people. So I cannot wait for you to hear this conversation with Imogen and John. And as always, sitting down with Janae beforehand, we'll be talking about the transcendentals, truth, beauty, goodness, these overarching experiences that we can all share uh, across our humanity that unite us and that often give us real glimpses into what life is all about and where life is going. So it's going to be an incredible episode as always. Thank you guys for tuning in. We'll be back in just a few moments. Kiss your cross. Tell me, can you do it? Can you give me new life? I've been thinking about it now. Listening to Counting Up My Sins by Tom Young, a brand new single exclusively available on iTunes. Welcome back to the Love Good Podcast, everybody. This is Jimmy Mitchell, your host, sitting down with my trusted co-host, Janaea Trudell. Hello, everyone. Good to be back. Janaea, it is always good to sit down and talk about these sort of, I'll call them perennial truths, eternal <laughs> mysteries, the things of life mm-hmm. that really matter. You know, the, the thing about today's episode that I'm really excited about is uh, we're venturing into territory that neither of us are very skilled in, mm-hmm. right? Like, have you studied philosophy to any sort of degree or extent? Oh, very minimal, but yes, but very minimal. That's how I feel. Yeah. I mean, I had one year at seminary, which means I maybe have like a combined 21, 24 credits in mm-hmm. philosophy, which is nowhere near a major in my book. And I don't know. I just didn't really sit with it long enough. But I I do feel like it rewired my brain Mm -hmm, a little bit. mm -hmm. I think philosophy, more than anything, this love of wisdom, this pursuit of the truth, 
it's just slowly through the years taught me how to think clearly Mm -hmm. and how to understand things as being manifestly true or like really obviously not true. Mm -hmm. And uh, the thing that we're going to talk about today is the the transcendentals, which obviously love good is built upon the transcendentals. We're always talking about beauty and truth and goodness. And I was reading an article not too long ago that really touched upon the biggest difference between someone like Kant as a philosopher and a bit more of a, of a modern day guy uh, like Balthasar. So Kant would have moved through the transcendentals like this from truth into goodness and then landing at beauty. But Balthasar, uh, by the way, I think he was a, a huge influence in people like Benedict XVI. He began with beauty, passed through goodness, and then landed in the truth. I guess the first question is, what in the world are the transcendentals? What, what do we even mean by, by beauty, goodness, and truth? Because I think a lot of people would understand this somewhat intuitively. Mm-hmm. Um, but what do we mean by those words? And then, and then ultimately, how is it that we can order these transcendentals in a way that actually makes sense the 21st century? And, and is Balthasar's conclusion here about that approach accurate? So let's begin with... <laughs> Truth, beauty, goodness. Do you have a favorite? Like, just like a personal fan fave? Oh, dang. Yeah. I didn't learn about them until I was a bit older. At least, like, even the language. But beauty was the one that obviously resonated immediately. And then I've developed deep love for (laughs) others. But we were tight right off the bat. That's really good. And some of the words that I've heard you use to even describe... Beauty is something that's captivating, invitational. I always use the word universal. If Mm -hmm. if it's really beautiful, then it's going to have this effect on everybody that sort of leaves them speechless. Mm -hmm. You know, we just did this retreat not too long ago for a bunch of kids, like from kindergarten through eighth grade. Mm -hmm. And I played this song for them and then asked them, you know, what were they thinking Mm -hmm. of? What was coming to their imagination? And I really was helping them understand this idea of beauty as the things that sort of leave you speechless, Mm -hmm. the the things that you really stand in awe of. And these little kids, I mean, do you remember any of their responses off the top of your head? They were so sweet. Like they remember hugging their dad. Yeah. Yeah. And they remember, you know, playing with their baby nephew, Mm -hmm. like really precious stuff. Mm -hmm. And these are kids, right? from age five through 12 or 13, who totally get what beauty is all about. So it's not just for the artist, is it? No, 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 no. It can't be. The invitation is, I think, the key to me. The word transcendental, like transcend, that word, it implies a movement of passing through something. And so if I'm not like enticed to even approach it in the first place, then it's not beautiful to me. (laughs) And it's not to say that it's merely attractiveness. That's the kindergarten of beauty, really. But it needs to be there. Like it needs to be attractive in one way or another. And that can be from a really beautiful song or a scenery or even a person. And it can also mean the beauty of something that's a bit painful to look at even, even a bit grotesque. And we think about some painful some obvious examples, like really hard movies to watch that are tough or situations that somehow hope sprouts from, but that are actually at the core, kind of, they began from ashes, things that are really tough. But there's something about beauty that that needs to kind of allure us in a way. And it makes us, it does not let us be idle once we encounter it. And that's kind of the hallmark is when we encounter beauty, 
we can't sit still. It actually is more work to sit still than to get up and figure out where the heck that's coming from. It demands a response. (laughs) It demands a response from us and we have to approach it. And then we have a choice to stay there and, and kind of just like gaze at it for what it is or to move through it and to be brave enough to kind of discover what's on the other side, like what it, what it holds within it. I love that. What's on the other side, which hopefully is where truth comes into play, Mm -hmm, right? mm -hmm. And so what what do we mean by something being true? Well, it's meant to be honest and thoughtful, authentic. I mean, those are some of the words that we use even in our love good standard, but there's a sense of rootedness. There's a sense of substance. There's there's a sense of eternity, I would say, Mm -hmm. in the things that are true. You you get this sense that they're lasting, Mm -hmm. that truth is much bigger than us and it's existed long before us and it it will exist until the end of time. Mm. So I like that image of passing through to the other side. And if it's good, like if we're talking about art, music, or just simply an encounter and the beauty of creation, you know, it's, it's going to ultimately lead to truth. And I think that's, that's obviously the, the end result. I mean, certainly for me, I grapple with the truth constantly. I think that's a a natural inclination for me. I like to read. I like to study. Beauty obviously plays a central role for me as well. Mm -hmm. They're so intertwined for me. Mm -hmm. And anytime I've put an emphasis on one more than the other, I've just gotten myself into a whole heap of trouble. But I do have this like deeply rooted trust that the more I pass through beauty into truth, I'm transformed and suddenly goodness becomes easy. Mm. You know, living a life that is good. If we really understand virtue, then that that should be something that's lived with ease mm. and just like a, a real second nature sort of approach to things to, to where you kind of always know what's good and you, you don't have too much trouble choosing it. And frankly, I still feel like most of the time there's a struggle. Even if it's all in the interior, there is a mighty struggle at mm-hmm. any given moment in my life for the truth. So I, I do think then that you look back at Kant, who began with truth, moved into goodness and then beauty. While that is really cool and really helpful in a world where people are able to still have like effective logical debate mm, and argument, right. uh, I don't know that that's very effective today. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, relativism has definitely had the final say in most people's education, in most people's media intake. This sense that everything is true or anything is true or whatever you want to believe and truly believe to be true is true. But that is a contradiction in terms if we believe that truth is in any way objective. So I really appreciate Balthasar's approach. I'd, I'd like to say it's not that different from Lovegood's approach, which is to begin with beauty. And then he goes from beauty into goodness and then ultimately into truth. Mm. He has this beautiful, beautiful uh, retelling of a part of a book. This is a Lovegood recommendation, by the way. Evelyn Vaughn's Bride's Head Revisited. You said you hadn't read it, right? No, but it's on my list now. Well, mm. it chronicles this character who encounters somebody in his studies at Oxford that he's really struck by. I mean, this friend of his is clearly a leader amongst his peers. He's the kind of person that is a, an influencer and really has a way of influencing that campus for the good. And so the character is drawn to this guy and eventually out of the beauty of his life, he's drawn into his home, ends up spending a holiday with his family. And it's in experiencing the the goodness of this man's family, the morality that seemed to just come with ease and Mm -hmm. with joy 
that he was ultimately led to the truth. And I think it ends with this beautiful, beautiful conversion. And I'll just sort of leave the rest, you know, for, for the mystery. Yeah. I hope all of you guys read this at some point. It really is one of my favorite of all time. But do you agree that beauty is the best starting place? I mean, people in our lives certainly would argue that left and right. But I don't think even as a society, we're doing that very well in the media. We're certainly not doing that very well in the church. Politicians are the worst at this. Mm. Leading with beauty, come on. Mm -hmm. It's a joke, Mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. I mean, I think it seems like a joke for that exact reason because, and maybe it is just a fruit of relativism that anything that's said to be true right off the bat is immediately questioned, immediately not even questioned. They, I mean, like, we've, we've stopped to even bother to do that. We've just, yeah, put it in a brown paper bag and, like, well, that's yours. You keep that and good for you. And maybe I, as long as I've been alive, I think. As long as I've <laughs> as been that, alive. As long as I've been on this great earth. I think that's how it's had to happen. Is I mean, that's how I've been at least kept on this pursuit and haven't given up is because there are little moments of, oh, it, it hearkens to my desire more than just my hunger for knowledge and to get everything. Because I actually won't. You know, we <laughs> you said at the beginning, like, we're not philosophers here. Like, and I, I don't think I ever will be. <laughs> at least not accredited. Maybe a little, a little philosopher. But, but don't, still. Don't forget, I, philosophers and poets have a lot more in common than, we'll say, like, logicians and politicians mm-hmm. or rhetoricians, you know? Yeah, that's true. Yeah. yeah, maybe there's hope for me. Because we're always thinking about this bigger picture. We, we want to see like the perennial truths of things mm-hmm. versus getting into the details like an engineer of like how something kind of works yeah. and how you get from point A to I don't care as long as I get there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know? Yeah, for sure. It's more natural, I, I think, for a lot of people to think that way. But I don't think it excludes anyone. I think even engineers. I mean, like my, my little brother, Declan the youngest, he's totally got this mind just insane attention to detail and needs to know how everything works and he he can rebuild vehicles and he builds guitars and no one taught him anything Mm. (laughs) it's just totally natural for him he's been doing that since he was little and um but i think it's that's even a a subset or a branch of this deeper desire to know the thing of all things (laughs) and like to know what makes everything turn and if that like authentic desire in us to know is like immediately met with a really harsh, clean-cut answer to these really actually very tender and hidden and mysterious longings in us. Like no one, I don't know how you, like the, the deepest longings and questions of your heart, you don't know mine, I don't know, you know, my sister who probably knows me better than anyone on the earth, you know, and still that there's that mystery. So when that, I th- even maybe this is, I should stop speaking on behalf of all of us, but when 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 those longings in me are met with a, really stark answer to like my life I immediately shut down it's not because I don't believe what someone's saying or what I'm reading it's just because it didn't make me want to want that you know and that's what beauty does and that's why once I realized that I think how that that I respond in that way if I don't feel invited like invited into a home like that that book you're talking about I don't want to go in like I, I'll ra- I would rather stay in the pain of the ache of never knowing than go. It does not look like fun at all. Mm. It's not about it being fun and easy. I mean, beauty by definition. I mean, like at least Joseph Ratzinger, Pope Benedict, he, he talked about it as this arrow that like literally like slices us open and like pierces through us and like makes us run on this pursuit. And we, we're never the same after that. 
Did he actually use the phrase slices us? No, he us? didn't. That's totally a paraphrase. I'll say that. He like, said it pierces, pierces the heart of man, wounds him like unto openness. And yeah. I'm not talking about it being easy, but I'm talking about it being really worth it. So beauty, I, I don't know. For me, it, it needs to be there, especially nowadays when you can't turn a corner without encountering a new truth, quote unquote, mm. when none of it is actually, you know, it's hard to find what, what, what actually is true. And that's frustrating, but... It would be a shame if it caused us to stop searching. And I think that's what we're starting to do. We're starting to become so used to these contradictions that we've just settled for our own thoughts about everything. And I don't know about you or anyone else, but like, I don't trust my own, (laughs) like my initial thoughts or feelings about anything all the time. And I want to know their indications, like my emotions, my, my feelings, my thoughts are all indications of something good. I hope the more I like progress and grow as a person but ultimately i they're not what i like appeal to in moments of trial i don't i don't look straight to to my feelings for things i hope not but they're important so so beauty has to appeal to those they have to it makes us want to want what we should want (laughs) i think so yeah it's important to me well janae we're coming down in the last few episodes of season one so i know i'm going to greatly miss these conversations in the months ahead (laughs) As always, thank you, and we'll, uh, we'll see you next week. Yeah, see you. Thank you. It was only a quick minute, but since you were within it, I have to say. If you could take me, stab me, hold me, love me, guide me, then that's the way. Oh, oh, I want it to be. To Be from Colleen Nixon's debut full-length album, Lake Ella's Sky, available exclusively on iTunes and lovegoodculture.com. Welcome back to the Love Good Podcast, everybody. This is Jimmy Mitchell, your host, sitting down actually in Walsingham, England right now with two really good friends, John Withers, Imogen Fell. How y'all doing? Very good. Yeah. Doing well, Jimmy. Welcome to Walsingham. I mean, John, it's amazing that you are up and out because I know you're not feeling super well right now. Mm. Imogen, it sort of like blows my mind that I'm here in what feels like the middle of nowhere, England, a place of such history and such beauty. We had a great time at the pub last night, you know? Uh, In my mind, you guys are living a fairy tale. Does it feel like that to you? (laughs) John's a princess. (laughs) (laughs) Does it feel like a fairy tale? It's a beautiful place to live. I mean, the scenery is beautiful. You were talking about the stars earlier. I'm always amazed by that going out at nighttime. And so often the sky is clear. And if you lived in a city, you wouldn't see it. But uh, out in the countryside, we're in a village of 600 people. So it's pretty tiny. There's not that many lights on at nighttime. And you could just see the, you know, the heavens are open there. So that's always really beautiful. And you're in, you know, it's village life. So you get to know people. I love the pub in terms of, you know, it's just great, great friendship with the guys that run it, you know. And it's those sort of nuances of being in a village that I think I really, I really enjoy about being here. So maybe, maybe it is a little bit of a fairy tale. 
<laughs> it's safe to say back home we don't have villages. So even the idea <laughs> or pubs. Yeah, no, we don't. The idea of a village pub, period, is sort of romantic yeah. to all of us back home. Mm. So it's really, really cool. And yeah. I mean, John, you're not actually from this part of the United Kingdom. You're no. originally from Wales. Mm-hmm. I can't help but think of that great movie, A Man for All Seasons, mm-hmm. St. Thomas More. There's this great line where he's basically watching an old friend of his sell his soul because obviously things are getting really hairy in the 16th century and the the government um, that was King Henry VIII was seizing the church and her properties and a lot of the bishops were just going along with it and a lot of the politicians as well and there's this one that basically like becomes the Prince of Wales, the mm-hmm. Lord chancellor of wales i don't really know what you'd call it and he goes well my goodness man if, you, if you're gonna if you're gonna sell your soul like if anything you know sell it for the world but for wales you know <laughs> yeah we are very uh very patriotic people in wales and i think on the whole we are very warm and friendly but yeah definitely i mean we were conquered by the english a long time ago so we sort of yeah, to say we don't really remember that, that's kind of true. But, you know, <laughs> you know, like, at the same time. Um, but, Conquered is such a strong word. Yeah, I mean, it happened. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, but so we, uh, yeah, we're in a special, I mean, it's always an interesting situation of like, you know, England, Scotland, Wales, Northern Ireland, the sort of four nations together of them. Wales is definitely like the, the poorest one. You know, whilst we're fiercely patriotic and we're seeing Scotland sort of fight, you know, they're voting for independence and that sort of thing. Like, I think we realised that if we did that, we'd be really stupid because we're getting a pretty good deal of being in the in the UK. And so, so yeah, but it's a beautiful country. The beaches, some of the best in the world, and the, it's, I mean, it's beaches and mountains. Really, is the is what Wales is known for. It's a really beautiful place. We're known for rugby as well. We're, Ah, rugby. Yeah. There you go. And Imogen, you're from Northern England, like almost the Lake District, right? Well, yeah, almost there. I'm from Cheshire, which is between those places and Manchester, not too far. So there's not much going on in Cheshire. I mean, it's known <laughs> as... <laughs> there's a lot of footballers that live in the Cheshire parts. Well, so the Lake District, though, would that be like an hour from, from home? Yeah, it's like an hour and a half, maybe. Because I, I do think that is almost as close to heaven as I've ever felt anywhere. <laughs> I mean, it's really beautiful. It, it kind of is everything you'd imagine Hobbiton to have been like, you know, in Tolkien's imagination. Really hilly and green and beautiful and kind of untouched. Mm. You know, it just seems mm-hmm. totally set apart. And actually Walsingham, for a different reason, it feels that way too, you know. Uh, we just don't have things that are very old, you know, in, in the United States. Like, we're just obviously a very young country. I'll never forget one of my first full days I ever spent in Vienna, Austria. Our tour guide was pretty smug about all things Austrian. And he pointed to his favorite restaurant and he, you know, just wanted to make it very, very clear to us Americans that it was twice as old as our Declaration of Independence. You know? <laughs> that's funny. <laughs> um, but over here, that's just part of who you are. This this sense of belonging to your past and yet obviously living in the present and being a part of moving, you know, into the future. Like that's kind of an amazing thing about being in your 20s, being a part of you know, movements like Youth 2000. John, you're a musician. Imogen, Mm -hmm. you're working on your PhD in social work and studying human trafficking in the Philippines. Like you guys are on the front lines of your culture and your communities as best as I can see it. But I am really curious, what what fuels that? Uh, For myself, I think a lot from my parents who are really wonderful human beings. Like they're just, 
they are yeah they they have huge hearts which are so open to caring for people and to reaching out especially to those who are marginalized and on the fringes of society my dad is from a evangelical background my mum is catholic and so arriving in university it was like my first time of really stepping out on my own and i began to ask questions about okay did the way i was raised was that is that significant to who i'm going to be the faith that i saw my parents live is that significant and i just began to to ask those questions and realize that i did want to live my life with purpose and with meaning and i found that that they both had that you know and yes it was sort of tied up in their faith but to most people that they that you know that they were friends with or that they helped in various ways i don't think they would have immediately been able to call that as you know mm. well these are because these are people of faith is why they're doing it it was just just the goodness of them as human beings you know they they're just they had purpose they have meaning and it was really tied up i think in in serving serving others and so that's something for me that's that's huge and when i discover something good and something true and something beautiful i want to share that with people so for me like working for youth 2000 which is a missionary charity here in the uk is quite a secular society on the whole so it's often a, you know we're sort of running across the culture as well as often with it so just trying to sort of find that that sort of narrow path in the middle yeah. um you're against all the arts really in this country uh yeah except god's on our side so right. <laughs> that's exactly right so, uh, Yeah, but I suppose for me it's in that desire to love and to serve. Yeah. Really cool. I love hearing about your parents and how instrumental they've been in your own formation, your your own understanding of really what it means to be human, how to live a life that engages people, that inspires people. Even just talking about purpose. How many people are, you know, in our generation and just simply drifting idly by, you know, or in a lot of cases my friends from university they're just kind of clambering up a ladder of success and mm. not very happy and looking i think desperately searching for answers and it's really really cool when you were given so many of those answers at such a young age uh, what a gift uh, image what what inspires it all for you cuz i'm actually really curious you studied business in undergrad yeah and then you got your masters in social work and then that must have inspired <laughs> something because you're you're continuing those studies you're doing a lot of work on the side for youth 2000 you're about to leave for the philippines like yeah. in just a few weeks you'll be living in manila for about 4 months right yeah that's huge i mean i i do hear a lot about human trafficking back home but when i hear even the statistics it's hard not to get a little overwhelmed and so i think often when i feel overwhelmed by a cultural current that is so contrary to what i believe it's easier to just sort of ignore it or to give up yeah. uh, and this was years ago but last that i heard is that there's somewhere over 30 million slaves in the world most of them caught up in human trafficking and that is not something that people often talk about because it's so uncomfortable and it's so tragic and it's so hard to believe it's still happening. I think yeah, modern slavery is one of those things. I think people especially I think in western culture we don't want to talk about it because we're very comfortable and we have our own bubbles and our own worlds. So to talk about things which are beyond ourselves can be hard. And I think that's just the nature of our society now is that that's where we are. I mean, we we see images of various things might be on TV or or whatever about you know trafficking and various other things but the realities people don't want to talk about it and yeah it's crazy 
because it's so important. Like we all have a responsibility to do something. And I think it's interesting, like just hearing John talk about like the role of his parents, like how important it is to instill that in like young people is so vital because we might not be able to make huge changes, but the little changes that we can make to our world is so vital. Like we all have a piece to play or no matter how small it is. And that actually keeps someone like me feeling very hopeful and not so overwhelmed. It sounds to me like you're much more interested in like Therese's little way, like making those differences as deeply and profoundly as possible, even on the smallest scale. And I don't know, sometimes studying all of the theory or the history or the models of how we can end trafficking forever, you know, like it, it really is about uh, on a very human level and often one-on-one uh, loving people out of evil and out of that slavery and into lives of real freedom. So there's a couple back home in Nashville, Ellie and Drew Holcomb. They're going to be on our podcast actually in just a few weeks. So spoiler alert. And one of the things that they're really, really invested in right now is an organization that's specifically fighting human trafficking and literally risking their lives, people who work for this organization, Mm -hmm. risking their lives on a near daily basis going in. They're quite literally going in and saving these young women one at a time and bringing them out of slavery into freedom. And that's obviously a beautiful thing for anybody. You don't have to be a person of faith to recognize how beautiful freedom is and how ingrained in the human heart something like freedom is. And so, you know, whether it is the work that you're going to continue to do in your studies and beyond, John, especially the work that you do mm-hmm. in Youth 2000, frankly, the work that you do as a musician too. I mean, you guys are living in one of the most secular societies mm-hmm. that the world has seen, at least in several hundred years, right? And uh, that's kind of hard not to get defeated by, you know, and overwhelmed by. Mm-hmm. So it really is amazing to see you guys going after it and, and living your lives with freedom and joy anyways and letting that captivate the world as you go. Well, this is our usual segment where we sit down with Jessamine Anderson to talk a bit more practically about how we can build a better culture. And in lieu of that segment this week, I really wanted to highlight a conversation that I just had with one of our patrons here in Northampton, England. One of the things that's really amazing for me to see all over the world is the great power of investing in young people. It's what so much of my life is about when I travel, really being able to to grab a young man by the shoulders or, or look at a young woman in the eyes and just convince them of their capacity for greatness. And the conversation I was having this morning here in England was really about how, how powerful it is to listen. Uh, the great art of listening, especially to young people, and perhaps even using that Socratic method to help them arrive at the truth, again, of what it really means to be human. So wherever you find yourself out there, obviously, Love Good, we're all about curating your media, all about raising your standard for culture. And I'm really convinced that part of that has to be investing in the young people in your lives, in your families, in your communities. Wherever you find yourself, uh, be that mentor, be the one who's accompanying a young person, helping really bring out the best in them, joining them on their pilgrimage through life, and really helping them reach their full potential. I'm, I'm not sure I could imagine a better use of your time or really a more effective means for changing the world.
So let's do this just for a few moments. I would love to hear what are the kinds of books that you guys have read that have really profoundly impacted your perspective on the world and again, what it means to be human. Maybe there's music that you're listening to right now. Imogen and I, we're going to go see Will Reagan and United Pursuit in just a few weeks, who apparently are from Nashville or, <laughs> or Knoxville, Knoxville yeah. uh, which is really ironic because on Friday, we're going to see Faith Hill and Tim McGraw here yeah. in, in London, and they're obviously from Nashville. I don't know why it takes coming to England to see all these <laughs> Tennessee-based artists. Kind of a funny thing. But if you were to throw out some media recommendations to all of our listeners, mm. where would you start? Mm. I think two things that just sort of struck me as you as you asked that question. One is a musician called Beth Nielsen Chapman. Do you know her, Jimmy? No. It does yeah. sound familiar, but no. She's great. She's probably in her, I don't know, maybe like late 40s. I think she has a Christian background, but her music is just so beautifully like, in its lyrics, it's kind of raw and human mm. and very, just tells stories in a beautiful way. Um, Beth Nielsen Chapman. Yeah. Cool. She, yeah, but musically, she's she's an amazing pianist and uh, she does incredible things. Like, I remember going to see her once and there was a guy playing like a big sort of like seashell. He was like blowing into it and it was making this amazing like... <laughs> no, wow. I can't explain it, but it was cool. So she's great. That's cool. um, beautiful, like really like... The, the music and the lyrics together, the freedom, I think, is the word that comes to me there. That's and then awesome. a film that I saw. I So I basically gave up going to the cinema about a year ago. Wow. Because I was like, it's just, I've got better things to do <laughs> with my life than spend three hours watching films. I come out and I'm like, not, I'm not, I don't know, it hasn't helped me to grow in any way, you know? Anyway, so I made that decision and then I saw the trailer for Hacksaw Ridge. Ooh. And so I went to see it and that was a, a moving experience. At the end of that film, I was in a, just a place, a real place of like deep, I'm not sure if peace is the right word, but I was really left with so much to ponder. Yeah. Um, just an extraordinary story about a man and like facing so many adversities, often like in relationship, like how people are like challenging him on his beliefs. Like yeah. Basically, he's a pacifist and so he won't carry a weapon, but he wants to go to war. And then just an incredible story of how he saves so many people. Really a beautiful story. So. Yeah, and I was so happy to see that Hollywood finally forgave Mel Gibson. Like, he was finally allowed to come back into the scene and put out a movie like that. And I agree, that was one of the most inspiring films of, I guess it was 2016, maybe, that that came out. Mm. I mean, I remember at the Oscars about a year ago, I was hoping, beyond hope, that that would win a lot of awards. And I think La La Land took most of them home yeah, that yeah, night. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I really think that was one of the greatest films of that year where it yeah. really captured so much of the beauty of sacrifice and perseverance. Yep. He did not give up at any point. You there's know? a there's an incredible scene. So he's holding on to this this like fervent belief that he's not gonna touch a weapon. You yeah. Know? And he's got to like face up to like his, you know, the captains and the generals above him and his own his own like squad who are like they think he's like just betraying them by not holding a weapon and all this. And then there's his wife. She's like, just hold the gun. And he like that's the sort of moment, a breaking moment where she realizes that if he does that he's not going to be the guy that she's she's mm. she's married, you know? It's a really beautiful moment where she's like, no, you're right, you know, that sort of, like, you you hold to your belief. That's the, that's the thing. But, it's a, yeah, as you say, perseverance in an extraordinary way. So, so good. Excellent, yeah. Ridge. So, Imogen, how about you? So there's a book I'm reading at the moment which I'm finding is very, very good, and it's, it's a bit more rooted in faith. It's called The Love That Keeps You Sane, and it's mm. actually, you talked about St. Therese earlier, but... I find it really interesting because it's a mix of psychological understanding of St. Therese's ways. It provides a bit more depth to understanding kind of her meditations and where her head is at, actually. So I, I find that really profound. She talks about different aspects of being 
who we are, like more applicable to like our daily lives rather than just this is, you know, sometimes I can get a bit lost in the head and like this is something that's really abstract, but actually this is a lot more down to earth and practical and I'm quite simple when it comes to things like that. So I find it very, very useful and very beautiful in how it's written, very stunning. It's really cool. So that's interesting. Therese, obviously, being one of the great spiritual writers of the last hundred years, sounds like this is a bit of a a fresh perspective with some psychological kind of angles. Yeah. Yeah. And then some real practical application too. Yeah. It's a very interesting book and a different take on a lot of other books that have been written about her. Yeah, and just about the realities of like our lives, like how busy we are, how just even like guarding your heart, like knowing how to protect yourself in like sharing things that are important to you, simple things like that, just knowing how to go about that, but using her way of understanding. I love it. So navigating even the waters of vulnerability and relationships and things like that. Awesome. Well, this is really good. One, because I had never heard of Beth Nielsen Chapman before. Mm. Two, because I am also obsessed with Hacksaw Ridge. And three, I had never heard of this book. Imogen and John, I hope you know how incredibly edifying you are to me. I mean, even last night going home from the pub, I just felt very encouraged that like, okay, there are people in every corner of this world, pockets of goodness and truth and beauty everywhere who are fighting for our culture, who are fighting for the hearts of young people, especially. And just know how much you've also inspired and edified all of our listeners today. It's been a real joy to have you in. And I greatly look forward to coming back to Walsingham at some point and maybe doing this again. Thanks, Jim. Thank you. But I'm not your candle. listening to If I Were from Jay and Joe's debut full-length album, Grounded and Light. What an absolute joy to have you all listening to the Love Good Podcast. Again, this is Jimmy Mitchell, your host. We're just wrapping up the episode now as we ponder this incredible conversation we've just had with Imogen Fell and John Withers, the conversation beforehand with Jenea Trudell. Uh, This is just a privilege for me. Uh, Here I am traveling the world and still bumping into the most amazing people who have very much stumbled into the art of being human, who are living intentionally and bringing beauty to the forefront of their lives and really fighting for beauty to be at the forefront of the lives of artists and of young people and of our culture at large. Uh, As always, this is that point in the show where one of you have reached out with a question, with a reflection, some thought about media and culture. And I believe this one is coming in all the way from our good friends up in Canada. Hello, 
My name is Anais Pegel. I'm currently studying in St. Stephen, New Brunswick. And in my life, one of the biggest barriers to having a creative encounter with people around me is indifference or self-interest. So my question is, what are some ways to push past that indifference? Dang, you guys always seem to have the most amazing, challenging, and beautiful questions ever. What does it look like to have more and more of what you've described here is creative encounters, especially when we do live in a society that is ridden with indifference. There's so many reasons and excuses in our world today for apathy. And I fall into it myself where I just sort of drift my way through the day or I glide my way through and not really considering the incredible beauty of people around me and the incredible opportunity to encounter to really creatively encounter others in a way that not only brings joy and fulfillment, but uh, helps me better understand what it means to be human. And I, I really think it is often a lack of courage on my part. It's a lack of love and a lack of courage that keeps me from reaching out, whether that's the person I'm sitting down next to on a train or more recently a flight, you know, from Barcelona to London. I'm just so turned in on myself, often because I'm trying to recharge or I'm trying to relax, whatever. And there's not a lot of joy, ultimately, in my life whenever I'm turned in on myself. I miss so many moments of glory uh, where I can really sense that something beautiful is unfolding in the life of another person. And in fact, so often it's, it's in realizing that myself and really shining a light on that, that the person on the other end of the conversation is, is made aware of it as well. And so it is such a gift, and I think it is about pushing through the selfishness, or in my case, the laziness, and really making a gift of ourselves so that other people can make a gift of themselves as well. And, and never waiting, always being the one pursuing those moments and those opportunities. So really wonderful to consider more what creative encounters we might be missing in our lives and how a little bit more courage and a lot more love can bring those moments and those opportunities about. Just so you know, we'll be taking off next week for the podcast because of Easter. We hope you guys have a wonderful couple of weeks until our next episode. And as always, know that we're praying for you guys. And until we see you, hopefully in your hometown sooner than later, we'll catch you on social media. God bless. Thank you for tuning in to the Love Good Podcast. Tell your friends all about us. Stay in touch on social media. And be sure to stop by iTunes or Stitcher to give us a review. Massive thanks to all of our patrons who make this podcast possible. As they stand on the front lines of discovering the world's best new music, books, and art before anyone else, our patrons raise media to a higher standard and help young people and artists turn that standard into a way of life. Join the movement today that will give you hope for tomorrow. Become a patron now at lovegoodculture.com.